0: For immigrants, when you hear the United States, you hear the country of light, the newest technology, hope, education. Those were all the words that made me really happy and blessed, made me feel really blessed for coming here.
1: I want us to, as an American, to invest in our new immigrant. We are the the land of immigrants, and we have to accept our new immigrant just like The generation before us, they accept us, because I am the proof of Massachusetts and Amherst school system investment in education. That was Hip Sin in Woodland Joachim.
2: When immigrants and refugees arrive in this country, they rely heavily on their sponsors, teachers, and the staff of various community organizations to help them find their way. The stories from Woodland and Hip demonstrate how that support can be transformative. Hi, I'm John Vosey, executive producer of Words in Transit. This podcast is a project of New England Public Radio and is being offered in conjunction with the release of a book of the same name, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. For Words in Transit, we collected stories of immigrants from Asia, Europe, Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East. Our goal was to bring the national conversation on immigration home to our community here in western Massachusetts and to shift the focus about immigration from government policies to stories of individuals that have settled here from around the world. To tell us more about HIP and Woodland, here's Tema Silk, the managing director of Words in Transit.
3: Woodland, Jakim, and her mother had been waiting for visas to leave Haiti long before they were left homeless by the massive earthquake there in 2011. Shortly after that disaster, though, possibly even because of it, their visas arrived. Woodland's mother's wish to raise her daughter, then 10 years old, in a country with more options for women, had finally come true, and once in the United States, Woodland took the ball and ran with it, pursuing a dream she feels would have been unthinkable for her in her native Haiti. But figuring out that she could strive to become a doctor did not happen immediately. It took encouragement, she says, from the staff of the Boys and Girls Club of Hartford to set her on the right path. Here's Woodland. I
0: almost lost my life before I even had the chance to have it. I don't know if that makes sense. But when my mom got pregnant with me, her own family members, they wanted to end her pregnancy because they said, well, you're Christian, you're not married, you're having a kid. Every single woman in my family, every single one of them, they actually did the same thing. They got pregnant before they got married. So the men came up with that idea that like the women are actually the ones who are like, cursing the family and keeping us in poverty because they're getting kids without getting married, and that's a curse. So what they did is they abused my mother emotionally and physically so that they can end the pregnancy. However, Thanks to God, my mom had a healthy baby. So she decided that she's going to protect me and she's going to make everything that she can to actually offer me a brighter future, offer me education, because she knew that wasn't the reason for us being poor. It was the lack of education in the family. So that's why education has always been a big part of my life. For immigrants, when you hear the United States, you hear the country of light, the newest technology, hope, education. Those were all the words that made me really happy and blessed, made me feel really blessed for coming here. However, when I came here, I was blessed. I mean, I went from going to school on foot, walking two miles, even more, every day back and forth to go to school, to having, like, free buses to actually take me there, from not having electricity for, like, a week, or even like a year from like having electricity 24-7, from not having clean water to having clean water, actual clean water, stuff that people actually take for granted. And one thing that I actually saw that is that teachers here, they're like your second parent. They care about you, but in Haiti, they don't really, all they care about is like making the money and that's it. But here, if they see you crying, they come to you and say, hey, are you okay? Is everything okay? How can I help? Like, I want to help. How can I help? Please. They actually ask you to have your permission for them to help you. And that was really amazing to see all those people surrounding you, and they want to hug you, and they want to support you. But then there were students who just don't see that as a blessing. That's why, unless you don't have something, you don't really see the importance of it. And I imagined that kids would be more respectful towards the teachers, but I actually saw the, the opposite. Not for all students, but there were many students who were who really took that for granted. My uncle gave me a French-English dictionary, so I would, in the cafeteria, I would be sitting and reading the dictionary, and students would come up to me and say, are you reading a dictionary? I say, yeah, it's a book, right? What's wrong with reading a dictionary? It's, I'm just learning, and they're like, oh, okay, (laughs) weird. (laughs) I love it here because of the freedom. (laughs) I mean, as cheesy as this may sound, I feel like in America we do have problems such as gender inequality, racial inequality, and whatsoever, but comparing to other places, it's 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 better, and it can get better. And I feel like we're that nation where we're always willing to help others. Like if there's war in that place, we're always willing to go there and help. Is If there's something going on, America is that country where you can feel welcomed, and it's different. I'm both an American me and a Haitian me. An American in terms of when I came here, I was introduced to feminism, and that's actually why I decided to apply um, to minor in women gender studies because when I told my cousin in Haiti, well, he's my cousin, but I call him uncle because he's kind of older. So I told him I want to become a doctor, and I was really young, and he laughed at me, and I said, why are you laughing? He said, oh, you're a woman, you're a girl, so you need to like stay home, cook for your husband and your kids. Why do you feel like a guy can be a doctor, but I can't? Like, you can't make my future. So I feel like I'm an American me in terms of believing in equal rights in every aspect of everyone's life. Like, no matter who you are, no matter what you identify yourself as, you should have the same rights as everyone else. I remember I was in my bedroom. I just bought this cute little cat, (laughs) and he was about three months old, and we were watching TV together, and my mother was in the kitchen, and she was cooking her favorite food. It's very famous because it's soup jumu, which is a soup that we cook every year for the, to celebrate New Year's Eve. And so we were cooking. She was cooking and I was watching TV. And then I kind of like heard a sound that I never heard before. And then after that, the earth started to like shake. And then my mother ran to me and she said, it's an earthquake, let's run. So we ran together and we stood under the door the entrance of the house and then like the walls were shaking my mother i remember my mother taking her hand and kind of like stopping a wall from like falling on my head where we were standing and we were like screaming like jesus jesus like we didn't know what was happening we could see neighbors running everywhere and one very clear image that i have is of my best friend who i actually lost during the earthquake because She was running down the stairs, and then a wall fell on her, and that happened in front of me. And the sad thing is, this wall that protected my home, at least the place that I used to call home, that wall where we, like, when we were little, we would draw stuff on and say, best friend, forever. And just to see her under there, it was really emotional. I couldn't really cry when it happened. It really affected me afterwards because I had nightmares, really could not stop thinking about it. I couldn't really focus in school. And so it was really difficult and it was a scary experience. I had to live in a tent with just my mom. And as you know, like living in a very poor country like that, just two women in a small tent, living among hundreds of people where people were getting sick, they were dying. Young girls just like me, the same age as me, were getting raped. It was very scary. We had like no one to protect us except for our prayers. We were dependent on God. That was our only hope, and I remember during those nine months, my actual only hope for a brighter future was actually going to school. Because knowing that school, my high school was the only place that I could go to where like the buildings were still standing. There were still walls to protect me. There were people around me that gave me hope, that told me that, okay, there's still hope for a brighter future. So I went to school every single day, just knowing the fact that there's still a place for me to go and actually learn and prepare myself for the real world.
3: That was Woodland Jakim. We'll now hear from Hip Sin. At the age of 11, Hip and his family having survived the Khmer Rouge regime, decided they could no longer live in their native Cambodia. But the new government there was hostile to anyone trying to leave. Their escape was harrowing. Over several days and nights, the family made its way to a squalid refugee camp in Thailand. During the decade his family lived there, Hip never attended school. So he assumed there'd be no way to make up for all of his lost schooling once his family arrived in Amherst, Massachusetts. But their sponsor told him otherwise and helped him enroll in the local high school in his early 20s. Several degrees later, Hip now describes himself as living proof of the great investment Massachusetts and Amherst in particular makes in its immigrants. Here's Hip's story.
1: I consider myself a Cambodian American because majority of my life is in the United States, and I only been raised in Cambodia for 11 years, and none of those years were happy. It were war, it were, you know, fighting all the time, atrocity, that's all we saw. But we come here, we we have memories, but uh, we able to suppress those uh, atrocity um, and continue with our life. Most people who left their country have different reasons. But we uh, basically, we didn't have an option. We either leave or we possibly die from either starvation or or, or killing. So my parents decided to leave the country so that we as a children have a chance at surviving from atrocity. After the uh, Khmer Rouge, my parents uh decided that uh Cambodia is not a place to raise us, and they uh heard that there were refugee camps around the borders, and there's u n s aids and and people and countries uh taking those refugees to overseas like uh france united states and japans and uh, The new government were very strict also. They didn't want any people leaving the country. We um, walk at night and uh, we stay in the bush during the day. Um, It took us three nights to arrive at the borders. That's where the the, uh, UN provides foods and shelters. And uh, we lived there for about two or three years and then, uh, there were intensive fighting going on. We pack our uh, stuff at 6 o'clock every day, just ready for if the fighting was start. And one day, my my father decided that we're going to sneak into the refugee camp in Thailand. Uh, it's called Kaui Dang. The government, also the bandit, and a freedom fighter if if they caught us we could be punished severely they would send all the children to our village and my parents would be uh sent to the border uh, to work you know like a concentration camp to build the, the fence around the border that's one fear the other fear was um the bandit if we you know have goals or or any money any valuable longing, they would probably won't kill us. If we don't have anything, they most likely kill us. And the other uh, fear is the, um, the freedom fighter, they might suspect us of, you know, like a spy or something, and they, they also could torture us and kill us. We sneak into Thailand, uh, into the camp. You know, most people who were in that camp the transport by the, the U.N.s uh, from the borders. They closed that transport. They they said they don't want any more refugees into the camp. So um, my father, well, uh, why don't we just sneak in? So it took us about a half a night. We left at the border around 5 or 6 o'clock uh, in the evening, and we arrived at the camp probably around... Four or five o'clock, but we kept hiding because the the, the guard was was uh, frequently walking around. So when there was a gap between the shift, my my father saw the opportunity. So we sneak in. After we ran in halfway, they saw us. They shot at us, <laughs> a couple round, and fortunately we just run into the population and disappear. When we arrived here in 1988, we, we were so shocked. We totally lost. We don't know, you know to go places, even the market, uh, supermarket, to buy food or so find a job or anything. But our sponsor, they, they were really helpful. It took a very long time, about four, I would say four years, before I really feel comfortable to go anywhere, to really say, I can survive in this country. So fortunately, we have the system uh, that could help our new arrival at the time. Uh, my, my first and second year, I, I was really lost. Everything so new, the language, the system, we were farmers. <laughs> I never went to school in Cambodia, uh, so learning a new language, such a big task, uh, not to mention finding a job. But because we have a system, um, and I hope that we we continue to invest in our new immigrants, because I am the proof of Massachusetts and Amherst School System investment in education in a new immigrants. In my life, I would never imagined that I have opportunity to go to school you know not to mention the university but I had that opportunity I'm very really grateful that my my sponsor brought me to enroll in school they asked us what we want to do I say well if I could we want to go to school I was uh, 23 24 maybe when I graduated from high school and then Fortunately, I have uh, a woman who worked at the uh, Asian Center at UMass. She, uh, you know, one day I got out of high school, and I was my senior year. She asked me, what you want to do after high school? I said, well, find a job. And she was like, don't you want to go to college or, or advance education? I said, yeah, but uh, I don't have money. But she said, well, let me help you. And I said, "Well, thank you." And she guided me through finances, all the applications, and and things. And finally, I got accepted to UMass. And um, for normal people, they graduate in four years. But um, I was so smart; it took me six years <laughs> to graduate. <laughs> I'm very really grateful, you know, to be here. And I want us to. As an American, I consider myself as American, to invest in our new immigrant. I mean, we are the, the land of immigrants, and we have to accept our new immigrant, just like the generation before us. They accept us, and we have to accept our new generation of immigrants also.
2: That was Hip Sin. We also heard from Woodland Joaquim. To see photographs of both HIP and Woodland, and to hear all of the Words in Transit interviews, visit our website at nepr.net, where you can also learn about upcoming Words in Transit events. You can also contact us if you'd like a Words in Transit presentation in your community. To see additional photographs, and to read transcripts of all of our interviews, see the Words in Transit book, available from the University of Massachusetts Press. Proceeds from the sale of the book benefit the Words in Transit Immigrant Scholarship Fund at Holyoke Community College. You can also find information about all of NEPR's podcasts at nepr.net or on iTunes. Next time on Words in Transit, leaving Iraq.
0: ISIS began to cull
3: most of the English teachers there in Diyala province because they speak they speak the language of the infidel.
2: That's Fuad Aboud, We'll also hear from Samir Khalil. Both men escaped the war in Iraq. Next time on Words in Transit. The managing director of Words in Transit is Temis Silk. The producer is Kathleen O'Keefe. And we had help in this podcast from Sara Redigieri. I'm John Vosey. Thank you for listening. Words in Transit is a production of New England Public Radio in collaboration with the Copeland Colloquium at Amherst College.